Welcome to Ordinary Mom. I am your host, Tara Ray Owning. On Ordinary Mom, we will highlight the extraordinary in the lives of everyday ordinary moms and women just like you and I. Every woman has a story to tell. And while everyone's story is different, all moms have one thing in common. We understand each other in a way that no one else can. As we journey through these interviews, we will cover a variety of topics with each ordinary mom, including personal struggles, raising children, marriage, and career. We will laugh, maybe cry a little, and trudge through this beautifully imperfect life of motherhood together. So come on over, let's get started. Episode three, Tales from the NICU. All right. Hello, everyone. Today, I have got with me on Ordinary Mom, Miss Allison Nickus, good friend of mine. Hi, Al. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. And we have her sweet little baby girl, Charlotte, uh, propped up on a pillow in the closet with us. As one does. <laughs> yeah. While we are going to be recording this today. So we are truly raw and authentic and hashtag mom life right now. So if you hear her in the background, that is who is cooing in the background. It is maximum mom right now. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. Okay. So, Al, let's talk about how we met. And I kind of have a little bit of a different version of this story um, than you might. But how, because you actually, I don't know if I've actually ever told you the full story, but how did... How did we meet? Well, we met the very first week at Western Kentucky University. Yes. Um, we were all up there for master plan, which is kind of a, a pre-registration type thing for uh, incoming freshmen to yes. get acclimated to the university environment and so on and so forth. And um, I had gotten acquainted with uh, a, a young girl who lived down the, down the hall in my dorm. And she, was actually, she actually knew you and Brian from high school and so we met right. up with you guys over at Preston Center, and then um, you and I just became fast friends that very first day. Right. That's exactly right. So the backstory of that is, however, um, we it was our first it was our first week in college, and I had made the conscious decision to leave everybody that I've ever known and go to a school where I knew nobody on purpose because I wanted to start over and write a new chapter and all that good stuff. And so when I got there that first week, I don't know if I ever told you this. So we um, got settled in. Parents left. Of course, it's incredibly lonely when your parents first drop you Very. off. And not knowing a soul. Now, luckily, I did have Brian, but he was over in the boys' dorm. And then we had all those crazy curfews and he couldn't come over. And, you know, during certain times and, and all that in the beginning um, for the first couple weeks. So I, um, I started school and was like, I'm going to do this. And then I got horribly sick. I got a horrible, horrible stomach virus. And I was in my sociology class when it hit. And I got up to use the bathroom and I ran out of the classroom and all my stuff got stolen while I was in the classroom and throwing up profusely. So this poor girl who was like the sweetest girl ever, and I to this day don't know who she is, uh, but she came over and she said, are you okay? I just could not stop throwing up. And I said, my boyfriend's outside. Will you tell him to go get my stuff? And so she said, I'll go let him know. So she goes out there and comes back and she said, he's going to go get it. So I come out and he said, your stuff is gone. And I said, what do you mean? I had just bought all my books for the whole semester. It was my first class of the semester. It was Monday morning, eight o'clock. I bought all the books were in there. My car keys were in there. My dorm keys were in there. My wallet license insurance. First time away from home, out of state. And I am so sick. So I have to go to urgent care. And of course, I don't have an insurance card. And I just profusely just, I, I just to be just fully honest. I just couldn't stop throwing up. And they were like, where, like, we need your insurance information. Of course I didn't have any of it. So anyway, so I called my mom. It took about two days for me to get better. And I called my mom and I was just like distraught. And I said, mom, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. This has been the worst first week of college ever. All my stuff is stolen. I've gotten sick, you know, more than I've ever probably ever been sick in my whole life. And she said, Tara, she said, college isn't for everybody. Maybe you should just come home. And so I said, okay, let me think about it. I got the phone with her and I just said, no, I'm not going to do like, I'm going to buck up. I'm going to do this. My, you know, I want to be, I want to be the first person to graduate in my family. All my family was, you know, really looking to me to, you know, I was going to do big things and, and I wanted to do big things. I worked really hard to get there. So I like said my prayer to God and I said, show me some kind of sign. Let me meet someone that 
you know, I'm going to become friends with or something. Like I need a person here. I need a friendship here. I'm, I feel all alone and I just, I need something. No sooner, an hour later, guess who I meet? And that's when I met you. Right. And it's like the craziest thing. I just, I told my friend the other day at lunch and I said, you know, I feel like people are brought in your life for certain periods of time at certain seasons for a purpose. And that was so clear. I agree. Because I think just within the first few minutes of meeting each other, I think we both knew that we just, yeah. we, we just clicked and that we were going to be real friends and yeah. not just fly by night, the, the kind of folks who come in and out of your life, but true friends. And we have been, we've yeah. been friends for Geez, going on Long time. twenty years now. I know. No, I know. It's so. It's, it's so wild. Amazing. Yeah. You know, Brian said, "Who's next for episode three? I said, "Oh, it's Alan." He said, "Oh my gosh." He said, two, the two of you on a podcast. It's either disaster or internet gold." I don't know. I said, "Probably a little bit of both." A little of both. Yeah. I think. But it is. It was just. It was just. We just clicked. And I always call you my my like left brain friend. And mm-hmm. I'm the right brain friend because we're both not a two arm horns, but we both did really well in school. Yep. We're both intelligent, book smart, and that, but in a totally different way. Yes. You're more analytical, scientific. I'll call you up and ask you things about politics because that is so not me. I'm definitely more like art driven, creative driven. You are. And I'm trying You're to, cre- yep. you know, figure out how to make a master, a, a masterpiece out of, you know, everything I've, you know, <laughs> put my hands on in, in an artsy fartsy way. So we are just very different, but you are like my left brain spirit animal. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah. Okay. So that is how we met. We have known each other, um, you know, like she said, almost 20 years now, which is just amazing. Um, Al, I've got to, I actually say this question specifically for you because we love all the funky zombie and funky mm-hmm. type of scenario situations. Yep. So if the zombie apocalypse came, who would you want on your team and why? Okay. Uh, first of all, I have to invite my uh, former boss, Nasa Taylor, to come <laughs> be on the zombie apocalypse team because she lives by the mantra if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And I think that that applies to her in all scenarios. Yes. And then, of course, I'm going to have to have Bear grills because, well, I'm, I'm an outdoorsy kind of chick. At least I like to think so. I'm going to need somebody that can, like, skin something because I don't know that I can do that. Uh, uh, so <laughs> who, I'm, I'm Bear Grylls survival expert. Oh. Yes. He's a survival <laughs> expert. Awesome. So, oh, I'm picking for my team too. Yeah. And then of course my husband Adam can come because I love him. And um, then uh, you, you are you also are more than welcome to oh, be on the right. team. No, yeah. I, I noticed guys how many people oh oh I Oh, I thought I gave you a number. Okay. I no. Thought, I thought I told you three people. Okay. I was about to say. Oh, that's I'm a small a, team. You got to have more people than that just to build the shelter. That's right. You know, and like man outposts at night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have a crossbow just so we all know. That's why you're invited. I know. Because, <laughs> you know, when I was obsessed with The Walking Dead, Daryl had a crossbow. So I said, Brian, I want a crossbow for Christmas. So what in the world are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to be like Daryl, Brian, because who knows? When y'all, y'all are running out of bullets, yep. I'm going to have arrows. The ironic part about that was that we lost all of the arrows. So seemingly, I actually would not have any arrows to shoot at any zombies because we could not find any of them that we lost. And you were there when we lost some of them. I was. I was. We were in the backyard shooting them. And we think that one of them certainly was shot into the ground, but we never could find it. So I don't know how effective we would be if the zombie apocalypse were to actually come. Yeah, and you can't load that thing either. No, this I would freak- have to pass it off to someone else to load it. And be like, no, Excuse me, zombie. The, let me get my crossbow The spring loaded. was really serious. We we would need some kind of a weight room in order to build <laughs> our was, strength to it pull really it back. Was. I was like, I was trying my foot and everything. I could not get that thing loaded at all. I know. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we grew up in the time period of Big Bot Magazine and all of those heartthrobs. And who who, you know, who was your kind of childhood crush that you just went ooh and all over back then? I mean, I have to go with the classic, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Titanic, yes. What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Just so cute. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Him and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. What's Eating Gilbert, Gilbert Grape. Grape. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, who was his older brother that was? It Jared Leto? I can't remember. I just remember him. I thought his older brother was. I think it may have been Jared Leto. I think it might have been too. I was. No, it was Johnny Depp, right? (gasps) Oh, it was Johnny Depp. That's right. That's right. I was a huge JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas fan. That's a good one. And my off the wall one is Elijah Wood. 
Really? I, I know. I, I can't. I can't help it. I. It's the eyes. His, he has beautiful eyes. He does have he's lovely just eyes. So going next door. I just love it. I don't know. There's something about him. Yeah. Okay, we have listened to a lot of music throughout our friendship, and we've danced to a lot of tunes. Mm -hmm. So if you were a wrestler, what tune would you dance into? What would be your entrance theme song? This is super easy. Uh, Ludicrous, Get Back. <laughs> so really funny. <laughs> I think it sends the right message to hype up the crowd and then let my opponent know that I'm really serious. But they better get back. Right, because yes. they don't know me like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't know what mine would be. I actually didn't have an answer to this one. But, um, you didn't? I, no, I really didn't. But I thought that you would pick a Rihanna song for some reason. No, it's got to be ludicrous. Get back. Probably just because of your amazing dance moves that you had to that, you know, umbrella Rihanna song back in the day. Oh, they were really outstanding. Maybe one of these days, if you ever do like a webcast, I could guest star and do it for you. <laughs> Oh, you got the moves, Al. You got the moves. I have something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we we're we're in our thirties. Um, I'm thirty five. Al is a thirty six. Uh, but we have seen a lot of fashion trends come and go. What is the most embarrassing one that you just rocked shamelessly? Okay, definitely big bangs and a bowl cut in the eighties and nineties. Obviously, not at the same time. <laughs> They were why not not one but two unfortunate <laughs> styles and then also in the 2000s there was a really unfortunate trend involving gaucho pants everyone was wearing gaucho pants yes. and i wore those and they're just i'm sorry but those are just not flattering <laughs> they're not flattering i used to wear them too they were comfortable but flattering they were not right those need to stay in the house and okay we're in our we're in my closet right now and I am actually looking at my pants, and I see a pair of gaucho pants still sitting over there since probably 2001. I've got to go through my. Do you closet. need to get rid of those? Do you want to? Do you want me to use those as the burp cloth for Charlotte today? Yeah, I probably. I probably should give them to you. I should donate it to a greater cause. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. All right, we've, we watch a lot of movies. I watch a lot of movies. I'm a big movie buff. Uh, so I had to ask you this question. If someone made a movie about your life, who would you want to play Allison? I would like Jennifer Lawrence to play I Allison. like her. I think oh, she's Oh, I was thinking great. Jennifer Gardner. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, my gosh. You guys are kind of alike. Your personalities might be a little bit alike. I think so, too. Yeah. She's She knows what she's... She knows what she wants. Uh, I think she's a very strong, very centered woman, but she knows how to have have a good time. Yes. I like her. And she has that underlying, underlying almost kind of sarcasm that's hysterical, but you, like, don't realize how funny it is until you give it a second to think and be like, wait, you said what? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I like that. I can see that. I can uh -huh. totally see that. For sure. Oh, my goodness. So, Al, you, you've had a really, really colorful career, really. I have. Um, you've, you've went from the news um, to the Tennessee Department of Corrections. But um, I want you to kind of take us, just take us on your news journey um, at first, where, um, your, um, your career journey, starting with the news. And then we'll move on to TDOC. Tell me a little bit about that world. Sure. Uh while I was in college, I knew I wanted to be a journalist, and initially I thought I, w I wanted to be a television reporter, um, but turns out I was not comfortable in front of the camera. I will speak in public. I'll speak to crowds of hundreds of people. No problem, um, but you put a camera in front of me, and it's, it was just the idea of the unknown masses peering back at me. It just, it was very unsettling, but I knew I still wanted to be a journalist and enjoyed writing, so um, some of the professors there, they suggested news producing to me, and um, I really took to it because that way you get to craft not just one story, but many stories and shape an entire newscast, and so... That was the route that I took, and when I graduated, um, I got a job at the ABC affiliate News 2 here in, here in Nashville, right out of college, as an associate producer. So I did that for a year, and then I got an opportunity to move over to Channel 5, the CBS affiliate here in Nashville, and that was amazing because I grew up watching News Channel 5 here in Nashville, and it was always a dream of mine to work there, and so suddenly I found myself 
actually working there, and Charlotte's very excited about it too. <laughs> well, I'm laughing here. too because again, we were talking about left brain, right brain, and how mm-hmm. different we are. And you grew up watching the news, and I only knew what channel the news was on because I watched TV shows like Friends or uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. TGIF on those channels. So meanwhile, uh, I was studying the anchors, <laughs> yes. uh, the the speech patterns, what kinds of stories they did. It was all just yes. fascinating to me. And so I did that. Uh, I was in television news here in town for almost 10 years and had a great run at it. was nominated. And you got some Emmy yep. nominations. I did. Nominated for several Emmy awards. So that was very exciting. And um, I loved my job up until the day I left it. It was the hardest decision decision that I ever made. Yeah, you made. I want to say a big, a big, a big career change in industry, but still mm-hmm. kind of in the same realm as, as far as working with media, but just on a different side of it. It was. I just moved to the other side of it. Um, in 2014, I kind of decided that I was looking to branch out and you know, maybe make the move into PR or media relations or a public information position. And at the time, um, NASA, former colleague of mine from Channel 5, she was working at the Tennessee Department of Correction in the communications division there. And she had been promoted to communications director and was looking for a PIO to replace herself. And so she and I reconnected and she hired me and suddenly here I am and I'm working for the state prison system, the state department of probation and parole, um, this department of correction oversees all of that. And so I was kind of on the other end, instead of being the one asking the questions, I was the one responding to the questions. Yeah. And that's a cool, I mean, that's cool to be able to go on the other side of an industry that you've been in for years, I think. It'd be kind of a neat thing to see the other side of it and think from the other side of it too, right? It absolutely is. Um, I will be the first one to say that I had no clue what goes on in a communications or public information office. Um, back when I was in TV news, if I made a call or sent an email and I didn't get an immediate response, uh, I just thought, well, what are they doing? Are they not just waiting for all of us to call them and ask them questions and respond to us? And the reality is that it's so much more complicated than that. Uh, nobody in PR or particularly state communications or government relations is sitting there waiting for a phone call. There are a million other things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say communications, it's not just with the media. It's with stakeholders. It's with legislators. It's with your own internal employees. Right. Um, so that was a huge, huge it was, it, was a big, it was a big shift. It was a big learning curve, but I loved it. I really enjoyed doing it. So when I say TDOC, Tennessee Department of Corrections, uh, this means that you worked for the prison system here in the state. I did. And, of course, my first question to you always is, what are the inmates like? Who do you deal with? You know, so tell mm-hmm. us, just tell us a little bit about what you discovered Um Working inside, you know, in and out of prisons. I mean, you know, just give us a little bit of what would that look like? Right. Especially especially to a woman, because I think women generally would obviously fear, you know, or feel fearful fearful in that situation. So just kind of take us through what what you did and who you dealt with and and just inmate life, too. Sure. Um, With regard to fear, um, I personally was never afraid. Um, I think that the day that I felt fear of doing my job was the day that I didn't need to do my job anymore. And I never felt unsafe at any point uh, during my career with TDSC. Yeah. And I loved hearing that because that Mm -hmm. actually really surprised me when you told me that initially. Sure. No. I thought for sure, you know. No. I feel like I would be so scared. There are are policies and procedures in place to ensure the safety of not just staff, but of the offenders themselves. Um, With regard to the offenders, I dealt with everybody from probationers and parolees who were out in the community. Um, they held jobs. They had families. They were just living their day-to-day lives. You'd wa- you'd probably walk past them on the street or in the store, and you never know it. Um, I dealt with them all the way up to folks who were on Tennessee's death row, mm-hmm. working with them on different projects, different stories. And it just, it just ran the gamut uh, from 
you know, community supervision to maximum security. And what I found was that most of the offenders are really just, they're really just like you and me. They're just people. Uh, A lot of them, most of them, I would argue, keep their heads down. They work their programs. They're trying to improve their lives and come back as productive citizens. Yeah. Do you, um, you were talking about Halloween is coming up. Mm -hmm. And I was going to, Allison told me about this. Operation Blackout, which I had never heard about before, well, until you started working for the TDOC, because I thought it was really interesting. Um, But explain to us, since Halloween is coming up, what this program is, Uh, because I know that particularly when it comes to sex offenders, um, especially being a mom, uh, you look at the list and see who's around you. I know women, in women in general, too, probably do that more than men do as well, but... um, but tell us, what is this Operation Blackout? Because this is the, your first Halloween that you can kind of hang out at home in a while. It is, because now I'm a stay-at-home, full-time stay-at-home mom. <clears throat> but for four years prior, every Halloween, I participated in Operation Blackout on the media end of it. And what Operation Blackout is, is it's a statewide sweep uh, designed to ensure that all sex offenders on probation or parole uh, with the Tennessee Department of Correction are complying with not only their usual standards of supervision, but additional layers of supervision that come about during Halloween time. Uh, for example, they can't have fall decorations. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't go to fall festivals or parties. Okay. Um, they certainly can't participate in trick-or-treating. They have to have their porch light off at night. Okay, that's why it's called blackout. Right. Because they're not supposed to have their lights on for kids to come to their house. Right. Okay. Right. And so um, this is just an additional layer of supervision in addition to the year-round compliance checks that the department does in order to ensure that, you know, kids going out on Halloween, that families are safe, that communities are safe. And that's, right. the, the, that's the number one goal of the department. Um. Do you think that, have you ever experienced anyone when you were in, um, you know, the working with inmates or whatever, have you ever experienced um, anyone that actually went through the system and came out and is doing, and like you said, is a productive citizen of the society now, like really prison made a difference for them? I have uh, several times. There are a number of stories that we could tell and that we have told. Uh, for example, uh, one of our vocational programs out of Northwest Correctional Complex, it, it it's a construction carpentry trade okay. uh, program, yeah. and it teaches inmates to build things and this is this is going back like from basically from the ground up uh laying block hanging drywall doing plumbing and electrical the whole nine to build a a building from the ground up Mm -hmm. and so these crews they they'll go out on work release and they'll do work in the community for government nonprofits, things like that Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a win-win because they're learning this trade. And also, the, you know, the taxpayers and these nonprofit and faith-based organizations are getting help where they need it as well. Right. So a number of the men that have come out of that program, uh, they work in construction trades now. Um, one of them that I'm aware of even owns his own business in West Tennessee now. Okay. And they're, they're doing great. And yeah. it really made a difference for them. Yeah, because I always kind of wonder that, you know, does it, does it make a difference? Because you hear so many times about people, you know, getting out and just going back in. Mm-hmm. And then you also hear stories about people being in the system and they don't know how to get out of the system and actually, you know, integrate back into civilian life. So I always wondered, I, have, I actually have just never asked you that before. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of wondered if there are people that, you know, it does, there make, are. it does make a difference. There absolutely are. It, Cause the bottom line, and a lot of people don't realize this, that 95% of the individuals who are incarcerated will be coming back to the community, mm-hmm. be it parole, probation, or simply expiring their sentences. They're going to come back mm-hmm. They're and they're going to live in our neighborhoods and our communities. Mm-hmm. So what the Tennessee Department of Correction is focused on is giving them education, treatment, vocational, medical options uh, to make sure that they come back and have the skills and the welfare that they need and the support systems that they need to come back as productive members of society. Gotcha. 
Alrighty, so obviously you've had a really colorful career and you've been really successful. You've always just kind of been really successful at anything you ever conquered. That, that is, <laughs> that's something I've always said about you. My friend Allison, she can just do whatever she puts her mind to. So um, let's move. Well, that's very kind. Let's move toward uh, family now. Let's okay. Leave career because you said you are now a full stay-at-home mommy. I am. Um, and for those of you listening, we, as you can tell, and I said earlier, we have... Um, one little baby girl here sitting here, Charlotte. Um, mm -hmm. So Charlotte had a very, for lack of a better word, just very dramatic journey to, to earth. She did. And um, a tough one for all involved. So yes. let's talk about Charlotte's Charlotte's journey and let's start with your pregnancy. Sure. Yeah. Um, I got pregnant uh, last summer, summer of 2017. Um we decided that it was time for us to start a family. We'd been married for about two years, Adam and I, um, and we thought now's the time. So we got pregnant and things were going really well. Uh, first visits all went fantastically, um, all the way up to the 20 week anatomy scan and she looked great. She was just kicking away. Um, I was looking good. Um, I was in good health. Um, the doctor was very pleased with, had, had been very pleased with everything to do with me. Um, my weight, my vital signs, um, my blood work, all of it. And, you know, so we were just feeling really good um, in, at the beginning of December. That's when we had the 20-week scan. We found out we were having a girl, and so we were very excited. She's still very excited. <laughs> She's very excited right now. Um, and then uh, right after Christmas, it was right after, right after New Year's, actually, we went back for our just a routine appointment, 24-week checkup, and they told me that my blood pressure was a little high. So, um, the doctor prescribed me some blood pressure medicine, sent me home for the night, told me to go ahead and start taking that to rest, um, and then to come back the next day, because she was going to do another reading, and um, do an ultrasound to make sure that the baby was okay. Right. So, came back the next day. We did the ultrasound. Charlotte looked great. Um, they took my blood pressure again, and even after 24 hours on blood pressure medication, uh, my blood pressure was even higher. Um, it was actually at stroke levels. So, Crazy. yeah, so they admitted me to the hospital immediately. And um, at this point, I knew it was serious, but I didn't realize how serious until um, the maternal fetal medicine doctor came in and he was talking to me and mentioned if we have to deliver and I said, wait a minute, if, like, what do you mean if we have to deliver? And how said, many weeks are you at this point? I was 24 weeks pregnant. Okay. And he said, uh, yeah, you're, you're still not responding well to even intravenous blood pressure medicine. So mm -hmm. we're going to try to get you 48 more hours. But if we can't get it down, we're going to have to go ahead and deliver this baby. And 24 weeks. At 24 weeks. Oh and so at that point, I started to get upset and they're giving me more medicine and at this point they they decide they make the decision to put me on magnesium sulfate and I don't know and any mom out there who's been on magnesium uh, knows that it is not a fun thing to yeah. be on I called it liquid satan I know they gave it to me with Lathan remember we talked about yes. this and I don't think uh -huh. you realized that I had had I this. didn't know you'd had it mine was at um it was it was right the same time I was at like 25 almost 25 weeks and I started mm -hmm. going to premature labor, labor labor and it almost makes you feel like you're burning from the inside out it is the it strangest does. it is feeling. it's like you're she said it's gonna get a little warm i'm like warm <laughs> it felt like my I'm veins on were on fire yes <laughs> yeah. yes i know yes so yeah for it was sure unpleasant. it's the craziest feeling so go ahead it is and so that they started me on that and as they're starting me on that they had um one of the neonatologists come down to talk to me um, about what it would look like if they did have to deliver her at 24 weeks and i I remember asking some questions, but the thing that stands out to me the most is that she used the words edge of viability, and then she said, we do offer resuscitation efforts mm -hmm. at 24 weeks, yeah. and so that just really struck struck me. 
Um, That's when you knew. Yeah, that it was. This is not. I mean, you knew it wasn't That the outcome was not ideal. Um, So, fortunately, they were able to get my blood pressure somewhat under control um, and stabilized over the next day and a half. And they put me on antepartum. And I stayed there for about a week. And then I was released on all kinds of medication yes. and bed rest. Major and bed rest. Major bed rest. What did um, they tell you? Could you like... They said I could only go... I could even only go up and down the stairs in my house two times a day, two max. Two times a day. That's right. I remember. Yeah. Yep. And so for the next six weeks, um, I did bed rest. And I was in and out of the hospital until finally um, the last hospital stay. Third, uh, it was thir- it was thirty weeks to the day, and they did a what's called a non-stress test. Um, they do they just put kind of a, a baby monitor on your tummy and listen to the baby's heart rate, and they look for them to do different things during the time period. They're, the heart rate needs to go up and down. They need to be reactive to things. Right. And so Charlotte, for the very first time in, in all of this, was not doing those things, and it, you know. From the time that I was diagnosed to this day, like, she had been great. It was just all me. It was all me. Yeah. And let's also mention, too, that you had no idea your blood pressure was that high. No, I had no symptoms. maybe canceled that appointment for a work thing or went out of town on vacation or, you know, on a baby moon or something. You would have never known that you were critical. I never would have known. I had no symptoms. As far as your blood pressure. No, none whatsoever. I felt fine. I looked fine. Um, You said you had maybe a little bit of a headache, but you always got headaches. Right. It was not unusual. Even at the beginning of the pregnancy, I got cluster headaches. And so I just didn't really think anything of it. And I'm so thankful that I went to all of those prenatal visits because it appears that we did catch this uh, this just in time and that you know the doctors went back and forth as to what to diagnose me as because you know is it is it preeclampsia is it pregnancy induced hypertension and it seemed like it was a bit of both so but um at 30 weeks to the day valentine's day this Mm -hmm. year um she started uh she she did not do well on her daily monitorings for the first time, and so they took me. Was she not moving? Or? She just wasn't. Uh, she was. She was. Her heart rate was kind of flat. Um, okay. Not like flat. Flat, right. but it, she wasn't doing the ups and downs yeah. and the things that like they would for, for like movement and things like that. Right. Yeah. Right. And so they took her. They took me in for an ultrasound, and they wanted to do what's called a biophysical profile, and they score the baby. Um, on uh, several different things that they they look for them to do, like practice breathing, moving right. arms, moving legs, things yes. like that. And she didn't do any of it. She just oh. laid there. And so um, after the ultrasound, uh, one of the maternal fetal medicine doctors, uh, who were all amazing, she came in and she sat on my bed and she started rubbing my leg. And I thought, oh, here we go. And... She mm. said it's time. She said she's not doing well in there. She's she's telling us that she needs she needs to come. So seemingly this was just a regular appointment for you. It was a checkup, but you obviously didn't. Did you know you might be delivering that? Did that was that something? No, I was in the hospital that day. Okay. I, I had been hospitalized again because my blood pressure started to okay. fluctuate. Okay. But no, um, and this actually. Uh, I honestly thought that I'd be going back home again soon because they had once again yes. managed to, with tweaking my medication, get my blood pressure back under control. Are you good? Yeah. But then she wasn't. But doing then good. she wasn't doing well. Right. So that was that was how the decision was made to deliver her. And in the time span of thirty minutes, you know, my specialist had come in and said it's time, and then she said your OBGYN is on the way over here. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I knew, my room is filling up with nurses running new IVs on me. Um, the anesthesiologist came up to talk to me about what was going to happen. And Adam, my husband, was handed a gown and cap and mask and all of that good stuff. And wow. in a matter of minutes, I'm being rolled out down to have an emergency C-section. And... Um, 
suddenly there there I am in the operating room and I didn't realize this that they don't let your husband come in right away either so Adam had to sit out had to sit out in the hallway um, while they prepped me and did the spinal walk and all of that stuff and got the curtain up and everything and then he was able to come in and um you know, at 30 weeks, we didn't know how she was going to be doing, if she was going to be able to... Sorry, <laughs> she just tooted. <laughs> that was the baby, not me, for the record. <laughs> Hashtag mama. I know, right? Well, ordinary mom right here. Yeah, that's, this is the life oh, right that's now. that's hysterical. But we didn't know how she was going to be doing at 30 weeks, um, if she was going to be able to breathe, uh, you right. know, all that. And so... The doctor said, all right, here she comes. And we just both kind of held our breath. And all of a sudden, we just hear this tiny little angry (laughs) coming out. She was so little. She was so tiny. She was 2 pounds, 14 ounces. And even that was hard because I didn't get to touch her. I didn't even really get to see her. She was... Let me tell you something. I can't say enough about St. Thomas Midtown and the team there because that, an emergency C-section, even for that, it was a well-oiled machine. The NICU team was already in the OR. They are really good there. The temperature was up in the OR for her. They immediately put her in in an open isolate, tended to her closed it and then had her out of the room headed straight to get all of the attention that she needed um in i mean five it, it seemed like five minutes maybe less yeah and then adam went with her uh while i stayed in the or and they put all of me back together again and sewed me back up and wheeled me to recovery and then i just kind of sat there waiting yeah. for <laughs> for some kind of update yeah, yeah. Which that would be so, I mean, it's such an emotional thing anyway, you know, but the fact that then you're just kind of left there while everyone else goes, that yes. would, that would have driven me crazy. Cause you know, you're like, it is, it's on? a very odd thing because you have a whole team of people around you yeah. and then suddenly you're just kind of left by yourself in recovery and you know, the nurses are still popping in, right. checking on you, but you're just kind of sitting there yeah. like, Where's my baby? Where's my husband? Like, like, Where's my the doctor? Whole, my whole family left me. Yeah. <laughs> and here I'm just I'm just hanging out. Yep. Yep. So you guys had a long at that point you had a long road for her to we come did. home. So how long was she in for? She was in the NICU for six weeks. That's a long longest six weeks of your life. It was. It was the longest. It was the longest and the shortest. Um I said all the time it was just a very strange dichotomy. It felt like her birth had happened both yesterday and a million years ago, yeah. simultaneously, the whole time we yeah. were going through it. Yeah. Um, and every day was a little bit different, but also more of the same. Yeah. Um, she was on a CPAP just to help help her with her breathing. She was able to breathe pretty well on her own, but because she was so tiny, they put her on a CPAP for a few days to give her just a little extra, a little extra help with breathing. Oh, yeah. So, just tiny little milestones like that. Um, her coming off the, coming off the CPAP, um, yeah. getting her IV out, um, and each then, week meant hopefully something else. Something there else. And these, I remember you said there was always these measurements. There was always either this needed to happen or this and this could happen, and it could be equally as good. Right. It changed all and the time. All kinds of tests. Um, uh, bilirubin tests see how her liver enzymes are working um and also that that correlates with how her digestive tract is working like if she's able to pat because even that premature she Mm -hmm. still has to pass meconium which as other moms know is very thick it's like black tar black tar yeah Yeah. and it's i mean it's hard for full-term babies to pass but so so she was having to work to pass that herself and you know they took her off the off the bilirubin lights and but then her levels started to go back up again so she had to go back on that um there were, I mean, there were steps forward and steps back, but the progression was 
always forward, um, but sometimes it just kind of was frustrating. And then towards the end, it looked like she may have to have a blood transfusion because her her little marrow and her little immune right. system, they just weren't kicking in like they needed to be. And then all of a sudden, it's right. just like that. Right. It just all kicked kicked in and she started producing all of those blood cells that yes. she needed to be making. Gain so weight. And gaining weight. I mean, she was kind of an anomaly a little bit as far as a preemie when she was trying to hold up her head. I mean, I remember you saying the nurses were just, she was so strong. She was. I mean, With, uh, so much stronger than a lot of babies, thank God. Even in her, you know, even yeah. in her isolate, uh, you know, the nurses would make a little, uh, you know, a little bed pallet for yeah. them in there. And she was just a... A little kicking and moving machine and she would try to push herself up yeah and a couple of times she even managed to push herself up and out of her bed and they would you know the nurses doing rounds would find her yeah. rolled out of it to the side of the isolate so they'd have to go put her back in and she she was just a little handful right from the start yeah. which was which was great because she was a little fighter yeah she that was, had to feel good you it know, did as a parent you it know, did she, she she was a fighter from the beginning and that she had you know that extra oomph you know because definitely when they're so little like that I mean the first time I saw the picture I mean you really can't and I still I still don't know if I can truly wrap my head around holding a preemie baby just because I never have which by the way we didn't get to hold her until five days after she was born that's right so I was about to ask that you. was hard yeah can you I mean imagine not being able to hold your baby yeah and really no I mean not be able to touch her right because you had to go through the... We had to go through thing. the isolate. We had to have gloves on yeah. because, you know, she was so sensitive and so tiny. So they were hard days. But, um, you know, in the end, I think there are a, a, a whole lot of good came out of it because she's doing so well now. And also, um, I used to joke with the nurses, particularly Patty, who was our favorite. And mm -hmm. Charlotte was her primary. Um, that... Uh, at least for us as first-time parents, it was kind of like parenting with training wheels, too. Yeah. Because we'd get to come into the NICU, and we'd get get to do her care, um, change her diaper. Um, when she still had the feeding tube, right. um, they got to where we, we were able to, like, hook up her feeding tube and hold that for her. Um, and then, of course, when she started to take her bottles, she started to learn to, to drink from a bottle. We got to give her bottles. And... Um, you know, and plus they, the NICU schedule is like clockwork. And yeah. when we, when we were able to bring her home, she was already on a, on a really set schedule. So that was helpful not having to yeah. fight with that. Yeah. And so we already kind of knew what to do with her. Yeah. And remember you talked about, you just said bring, when you brought her home, I remember we talked about this in the past. It was very strange, obviously to, you know, you recovered, left the, left the hospital, but then you, you have to leave your baby there. Yeah, one and of the hardest days of my life was the day that I was discharged from the hospital and had to come back home to the house. Um, nursery's there. Yeah. I'm not pregnant anymore. Right. But there's no baby. Yeah. So it was it was rough. Yeah. You know how I think I think any mom who has had a preemie baby, I think you kind of had and you you have women that you've had kind of a camaraderie with yes. through the process and I think you yes. have to, in any type of situation as a mom that is trying when it comes to children and we all have a million different types, right? Sure. Of situations. But if you can find a set of women that can support you in that situation. Um, so for any moms out there that are listening that have been through your journey or, you know, may be about to face this journey, what is the hardest part about this? I mean, what, how do you mentally kind of wrap your head? I mean, what do you do for yourself? How do you wrap your head around, around this? It's, it's hard um, because you feel incredibly helpless when you're there and you feel incredibly guilty when you're not there um guilt on so many levels uh guilt thinking i feel guilty for everything thinking so this is, exactly yeah. thinking i should be there right now with my baby yeah but there's no way that you can be sitting there in the NICU yeah 24 hours a day yeah um it's just not healthy for you it's not healthy for your partner it's probably not healthy for your baby either right. if you're in that kind of state um and then you feel guilty because, or at least I did, because, you know, as, as a mother, it's your job. It's, it's your biological destiny to safely and healthfully carry your baby into this world. And being unable to do that, even though there's, 
you know, it's no fault of your own. Uh, it, it's devastating. It, it's, it's just devastating. Yeah. It's hard to, it's one of those situations where, you know, I went through the IVF to have the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those situations with your situation, have a premature baby. You can talk about it and you can try to, but unless you are there, it's hard to fully understand the full weight of yes. the, of the situation. And I think it's just, it's so important to find a group of women it is. in that position that it you is. can relate to. Because I know that's what helped me a lot going through IVF. And, you know, I know that you said that you were so blessed to have found a few women that you kind of bonded with and a couple you still keep in contact with yes. pretty closely. Because um, your babies were all around the same age. Yes. Uh, the biggest advice I could give to anyone who's going through that is... Take it day by day. That's all you can do. Give yourself a break. I know it's hard, but give yourself a break. And yeah. if you and if you need to, like, there were some days, I tried to go two or three times a day, every day, to see her. But there right. were some days, I just I just couldn't swing it. Right. And so, just want, so yeah. I just went once that day. Yeah. And that was okay. And that yeah. is okay. And also, reach out. Um, I... Got to be friendly with several other moms uh, whose babies were also in the NICU at the same time that right. Charlotte was. And we've kept in touch. And, you know, all of our NICU journeys are, they're different, but also kind of the same. Right. And then I also have another friend um, who had a baby born prematurely who had a pretty significant NICU stay. And so I leaned on her quite a bit as well um, while we were going through it. And, it's it's just good perspective to know that you know what to expect what what you can anticipate coming up um and then also just knowing that you're not going through it by yourself yeah that you're not alone other yeah. people have been there and they understand exactly and that they are the only ones that'll be able to really get it so you know when you you were talking about guilt earlier and unfortunately as moms the whole mom guilt thing I mean, it just never stops. It doesn't. I, I mean, I try to eliminate that from my daily narrative, but it creeps back in. And especially in situations like this, I mean, you could have had a million things to feel guilty for, but at the end of the day, you shouldn't not have felt that way. But as a mom, you cannot you help. You can't help it. The, it's just, it's ingrained in it you. Is. It, it just is. Um, so you mentioned Adam, and we're going to talk about marriage in a second, but, um, you know, how about, how did you and Adam work through this together as, as a couple, since we're on Charlotte's journey still? I will say Adam was an absolute rock through this. I couldn't have done it without him. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have done yeah. without him. He is the best husband and father that I could ever ask for. Um, and I just really, I'm thankful for him and to him to the moon and back. Yeah. You have to have a partner that's supportive yeah. in this too. And you know, like you said, your journey, um, we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, your journey is different than his journey because you're going to experience things as a mother oh, yeah. that fathers don't experience in the same way. Oh, yeah. You just said a second ago, I felt guilty because I was supposed to be able to carry her. I felt guilty because, sure. you know, I didn't get to do this and that because um, I'm supposed to do that as a mom. So I assume that it it's kind it's so important to have a supportive partner, but I also assume there's probably times where although they were there that you almost needed another woman to talk to maybe. You did. And it, Adam was wonderful and and he even recognized that he could, he couldn't quite fully yeah. grasp everything that I was feeling just because, you know, as as a mom and particularly someone who is immediately postpartum. Yes. Um there's just a lot going on there. And so I think that's why it's so valuable to have other other mothers right. who have gone through the same thing because I, I really don't think that that anybody can truly understand it unless they've been through it themselves. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on to right. Adam. Speaking of marriage. Yes. Um, let's talk a little bit about your journey to Adam. Sure. Because I just love your story. And again, it's very inspirational to other women out there that are in the same position. So um, tell us about just how did, you, how did you get to Adam? Just what is the journey there? Well, um, I was dating someone all through high school and college 
and I married my high school sweetheart, and he was not Adam. And um, it was a rough marriage from the start. It was. There were a lot of things that went on, um, infidelity, emotional abuse. Um, it just, it wasn't healthy on any level. And I just think that the two of us were completely different people by the time we so reached different. the reached adulthood and you know I think you just I think I honestly think we got married because that's what you do when mm -hmm. you get that age the next step. you've it's been just together next, all through high school right and so college. it's you, you know, know you kind of come to that fork in the road of you know the proverbial get off the pot yeah and there's you know there's that familiarity and there's his, the history there and so you do it and so we did it and uh you know, we tried, but it just didn't work. And so we ended up getting divorced uh, just shy of five years of marriage. And so um, I had to start all over again and um, stayed with my parents to get my feet back under me mm -hmm. for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm like living by myself. I had an apartment yeah. here in Hendersonville. I was working and just kind of starting back over and then I you know it was it was a divorce is never easy and I wasn't quite sure if I really wanted to get married again mm -hmm. but I gave myself some time I decided to spend at least a year uh, not dating anybody just and you did too I did and I think that was the smartest thing I did that you possibly could have done in your situation just simply because you needed to find out who Al was again I did without your ex in the picture yeah you had I to reinvent yourself I did I or really just figure out maybe who you were from the beginning I had to that's exactly what it was I had to get to know myself and figure out what I was looking for and what I wanted to do. Especially and, in any kind of partner or anything. Oh, I, there, was, situation. there was no way I could have been a good partner to anyone right. at that point. And, and I knew that. And so you knew what you also wanted and didn't want. And, right. You know, right. And so, um, it, and it was funny just right as I was, uh, opening myself up to, to dating again. Um, Adam just came along. He and I were um, professional acquaintances, I guess you could say. Um, at the time, he worked for um, a political party here in Tennessee, and I was a, a political aficionado, and so I would track him down and ask him, you know, ask him questions about dif different things, try to pick his brain, and um, he left uh, the political party after the 2012 elections. Right. And he and I continued to follow one another on Twitter. I was going to say, what about the Twitter? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Good old Twitter. <laughs> Good old Twitter. Uh, 1140 characters or less. <laughs> yeah. And so we continued to follow each other, and we would correspond back and forth, just, you know, replying to one another's tweets. And it got to be pretty... Twitter love. It, it was. <laughs> it was. It got flirtatious. And so finally, we kind of thought, hey, we need to... We need to meet in, meet, meet in person and see if if this is something. So we got together uh, one Friday night with, uh, I had a friend with me and he had some friends with him. And so we just kind of felt each other out to see if it clicked. And we really enjoyed one another's company. And so he asked me out on a date uh, that for that Sunday night. And so we went out on a date and he drove all the way up to Hendersonville to pick me up, opening car doors and everything. Oh my goodness. I know he is just, he couldn't be more opposite. He's so perfect. So perfect. In your first experience, right? That, very much so. I, I've said this to you a million times and I'll probably say it a million more. I feel like God came down from the heavens and chiseled Adam out of stone for you and was like, here's your perfect man. He is. He's, I mean, because he's, he is... He's my best friend in is, every way. He's, he's like you... But in but in a dude's body, but then but, he's just so. But then he's so considerate of you mm -hmm. in ways that is so important in your mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah. And having seen you in your first marriage and as a good close friend of yours, and when you hurt, you know I hurt, and it was really tough to watch you in that situation and to see where you are mm -hmm. now with this man that is so right for you. It is just. 
It's just the most amazing thing ever. I, I mean, you literally shine when you're around him. And you have been like that since the moment I met him. With, like, the very first time. And we left from meeting him the first time. Mm -hmm. And I told Brian, I said, she's going to marry him, hands down, 100%. Mm -hmm. um, there is just... I don't, I don't even see how there could be a more perfect match. There, And it's amazing because your story, mm -hmm. it could have ended up, you know, it could have been like the end. Like so many people do feel it is after divorce. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, it's like mourning a whole part of your life. But for you, your second chapter is just so incredibly happy and so fulfilled. And I'm very lucky. Adam is wonderful. And there has not been a day that I have not been happy in this relationship or marriage. Maybe not all day, every day. I mean, we certainly bicker and disagree and things like that. Right. But every single day, I I am so thankful to have him in my life. Yeah. And I mean, for the women that are listening to that have been through a divorce or maybe you're just now post-divorce, maybe you haven't found your second chapter yet. I mean, Allison's story is such a testament to the fact that it will come. It, it might not come. It might come from Twitter. It, it may. <laughs> I mean, who knows? It may. It might come from eHarmony or Match.com. Right. I mean, or it could come from some random place you never expect, like the grocery store. But but it will come when the time is right. And I think it's important, again, to just kind of say that you gave a full year to just work on yourself. Yes. And I think after anything big like that you in life, whatever it is, divorce, having any kind of major life change, you have to kind of reconnect with yourself before you can reconnect with someone else. That's absolutely the key. Okay, let's talk a little bit um, about how you and Adam um, stayed connected through the premature birth. We talked a little bit about how you guys kind of dealt with it and that he was incredibly supportive. But, you know, and and she's not done. Let's, let's also mention that, too. Sure. She still has a journey. I mean, just was it last week you had someone come to the house? And we did. And evaluate her um, as far as her language development, motor skills development, um, things like that. So it's not over just because they go home. And I actually didn't realize that having never mm -hmm. had a preemie baby, it, the path is still, for some babies, it's still very long. It is. After it is. they leave the hospital, people think they go home and everything is good, but that's not always the case. Right. And she's at, and she's actually doing very well. But um, earlier this week, I did get a call from the early intervention specialists, and they said that she does qualify for therapeutic services uh, based on her scores. So we're actually meeting with uh, a therapist. They're they're going to come to our house next week. Okay. Um, they're going to go over her scores with us, oh, and good. we're going to work out a plan of action. Okay. Um, what kinds of therapies, things like that. Um, so yeah, it's it's ongoing, and uh, at least one of the other moms that I uh, connected with in the NICU is. You know, she's still, she's going down the same path with her daughter as well. So, so it, glad that you took advantage of that. Yeah, it's a, and it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful service. Yeah. And it's, it's free for babies that qualify. And so I figure anything that I can do to give her an extra leg up, a yes. little extra help. For sure. Let's for do sure. it. So how do you and Adam stay connected through having the preemie baby? That time, that's a big transition in it your is. marriage. And then just even, let's just talk about having a newborn. Because we were talking just before this. I said, I mean, Graham is just three. That's our youngest. And, you know, just even to think of starting over. So what's yeah. a, what What do you guys do to stay connected with a new baby in the house? Uh, it, it is tough. It is tough. But we have made it a priority to make sure that we take time for ourselves. Um, putting uh, Now that she's on a more regular uh, nighttime schedule, changer, yes. that is a huge game changer because she's in bed by 8 or 9 o'clock every night, and she is a fantastic sleeper, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. um, so that gives us some evenings to spend time with each other, to, to you know, sit out on the deck around the fire pit and talk or watch a movie or, or just do whatever Aww. we'd like to do. I know you like that, don't you? And then... <laughs> Um, we've also made it a point to, uh, you know, maybe once a month, my, I'm, we, we are blessed enough to have very supportive families yes. and my folks still live here in the area. And so they, they've been generous enough to take her for a night or two or even longer. Like just recently we went to, um, we went to Boston and Newport, Rhode Island 
for a wedding and we were gone for several days and my parents were generous enough to take her and keep her for us so that we could have that time together. I love me some Newport, Rhode Island. You know that. Oh yeah. It's great. It is. It's beautiful. All right. What do you do for Allison? My biggest thing. Uh, okay. This is really corny, but I am very into um, washing my face and like a skincare regime, things like that. That's not corny. That's a must. It is a must. And, but it, there's just something very therapeutic about washing all the grit and grime from the day off. And then like, I'm a Kiehl's junkie. Kiehl's? Kiehl's. Kiehl's skincare products. Oh. They are amazing. They um, are? Yes. They like... Midnight Recovery Concentrate is a must-have, ladies. <laughs> it is a must-have. Kiehl's plug right there. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but it, there's just something so soothing about doing that. And then there's also nothing better than just sitting down or going to bed with a good book and reading for a little wow. while. Now you and I, we, we get that. I'm, I'm right there with you yep. on that one, sister, for sure. Yep. Okay, let's talk about the fun part about being a mom. You've obviously had a very... Very crazy journey to get here. Uh -huh. uh, but we do have a healthy baby here at the end of it. We do. Uh, what are some things that surprised you about being a mom? Um, number one is how hard it is. Um, I have been a hard worker, here for the grind, here for just, um, I will put in the extra hours. I'll put in the overtime. I will go on the work trips. I will, you know, do the overnights, whatever, totally but that's nothing kind of compared to exhaustion. being a mom because it does not stop. That's right. Even after, even if you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week at your job, yes. at least, at yes. least after that, you have the rest of the hours yes. of the week. But this is very different. Yes. Or, you know, I always say this. It's not... It, it's a different type of exhaustion. See, when you work, sometimes you get, like, mentally exhausted. But uh -huh. guess what? If you needed to go to the bathroom, you could go to the bathroom. If you needed right. to get a cup of coffee, you could get a cup of coffee. If you needed to stand up from your desk and just walk away for just five minutes and then, you know, refresh or stretch or whatever. Yep. That does not happen. When you're a mom, it, there it's are no a breaks. totally different level of exhaustion. No days, no Mental, days off. physical. Yep. And then you don't sleep, mm -hmm. especially with a newborn. So there's that. At least when you are working crazy hours, you can normally get a good night of sleep. Exactly. So it is, it is all, it is all the combinations of it is. all the things that, that make life hard in one thing, in one, um, one position in your life, the, one role. The other things is I was shocked by the sheer amount of time that I spend in my days now talking about poop. Did she poop? Yes. Yes. What did the poop look like? Was it a yes. good poop? Was it a big poop? Was it a small poop? Was it a runny poop? Was it a solid poop? What color was the poop? Yeah. yeah. Also boogers. Like I spent a lot of time <laughs> picking my kids' nose. <laughs> oh, that is so true. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, Brian and I were talking about the poop the other day and, and he said, yeah, you would call me. Okay. Did you ever actually send a picture of the poop? We have not, we have not reached the poop picture point yet. Okay. Cause I remember one time telling Brian, I was, um, I was on my way home from somewhere and <laughs> one of the boys and he was like, their poop looks kind of weird. I said, take a picture and send it to me. Are they okay? He's like, I'm not going to take a picture of their poop and send it to you. You're, I mean, you're just going to Kroger. You'll be right back. But it is so true. You become obsessed with poop. And yeah, I'd pick my kid's nose all the time. Yep. And then here's the thing. Why is it that none of their bodily fluids are just disgust me? Like even mine disgust me, you know, it's just, yeah, you don't There's care. just nothing really to it. Except for the smell of vomit. We're one of those parents, Brian and I both, yeah. that dry heave while we're trying to clean up their kid's vomit. And the other one starts to dry heave. And then Lathan sits there and laughs at us or Graham will laugh at us as they're throwing up because we're dry heaving. I, I can't do this. I'm bad with smells. I understand. But the actual, the actual, <laughs> the actual texture doesn't bother me. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think the worst... It, I've actually gotten better with the diapers the older she's gotten, which is surprising because that's even through our journey into solid foods. Uh -huh. um, but I will, like one of the grossest things ever, it was when she was still in the NICU and I was changing her diaper and... I don't know if you remember what breast milk poop looks like. Oh, yeah, it's like, like seedy. Like it's mustard like mustard seeds. seeds and That's the she, weirdest thing, right? It is. And she, while I had her diaper off, and this is like a newbie mom 
like rookie mom mistake. I did not leave the old diaper folded up over while I was placing the new one under her. Oh, no. And so she pooped, and yeah. and it was with a great deal of force, and she <laughs> pooped all down the side of her isolate. Like, it squirted everywhere. It was oh, so yes. disgusting. I know. They got some powers in them. They, they do. Some, they pack some power. Um, I was laughing because we were initially talking about this podcast, and <laughs> Allison's on the other line. <laughs> I know where this is and going. I, and I just hear a the whole time we're talking i'm like girl you pumping i sure was and she's like yeah get my breast pump out i had to pump my hashtag multitask oh my gosh so i mean this is just this episode is mom life wrapped up in so many different charlotte being right here for us is talking about poop yeah and then us doing the planning for this while allison is um you know pumping on the other end of the phone so it's it's a beautiful part of it's those things that you never thought you'd laugh about and that you get camaraderie over right yep i mean who would have thought it's like oh girl i know i know you know um let's do a a quick wrap-up question and who is someone that has just inspired you recently and why someone that's kind of impacted you lately you know i thought about this question and i have to say it's not just one person. I mm-hmm. just have to, after going down this road, give a shout out to moms everywhere because it is so hard. And especially moms um, of multiples yeah. or moms who have more than, you know, more than one kid under three. I I don't know how they do it. Like, I just think every mom is a superhero now. Yeah. No. I really do. Yeah, and you're you're you like you said you're newer to the game, you know now. I am. Um, although your your um your tryout, you know, to to join the team was <laughs> a lot a lot more um a lot harder. They tricked me than, out. Yeah, than the average. <laughs> yeah, they were really they were rushing you hard there, weren't they? Um, but you're right, girl. I I think that's that's such a good point because it, we as moms don't give ourselves the credit that we should give ourselves um and we are constantly hard on ourselves and it's just it is so it, it is the most i was talking on our first episode christy said you know being a mom is so sacrificial and it just it absolutely it is. is um but it's but it's the best thing in the whole wide world so let's add it let's actually add in with that one yeah. what is the best part about being a mom oh this is easy um one of my favorite things every single day is She's like I said, she's a wonderful sleeper. She she goes to bed between eight and nine o'clock and she will sleep all the way through the night to the point that amazing. we that we have to wake her up to give her a bottle. Oh now you're just bragging. But the she's be- bragging on you now. But the best part is going into her room every morning and waking her up and seeing her look up and realize, Oh, it's mommy and daddy and yes. getting that big smile that she's so excited to see us. Yes. I love that. I could I can do that for the rest of my days. Although it I know it'll, all the other it does. stuff, doesn't it? it? Does. All the bad stuff. It, and it's so crazy. In, in that split second, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, what? What just happened? Uh-huh. Oh, did we have an awful day? I don't remember that. All I see is you smiling yeah. at me right now. Yep. <laughs> it, it's so true. You know? It's, it, it's like momnesia. <laughs> it is. Oh, I love that. That is so true. Yes. Momnesia. Yes. That's a fact. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Especially bringing Charlotte. You know, I know that it's obviously hard to get out and about with with a new new one that's so little. But she did great. She did. And she had a good time, too, I think. I think she did. I appreciate you. And thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Ordinary Mom. Tune in next time for episode four. Just keep moving when I will interview Amber Hitch, a mom who shares with us her story about transitioning from a corporate career to being a stay-at-home mom, how she overcame her struggles postpartum with both the baby blues and panic attacks, and how she found a renewed sense of self and purpose by creating a motivational accountability group for women. Be well, and for all my ordinary moms out there, keep living your ordinarily extraordinary lives. Until next time.